I actually had to wear jeans today because I'm going down to my former church to celebrate one of our guys that's been in ministry for 25 years, and I didn't think they'd want me wearing shorts and flip-flops, so, but, uh, so I'll be like pulling out immediately after uh, I finish here, because uh, they're starting like at 10.30, but <clears throat> it's not going to slow down what we're doing here. We're, we're here, this is so important today, uh, I'm just covering a few verses, but as we went from nine and we're in ten right now, we're getting ready to go to eleven, and you have to know nine and ten before you get to eleven, because eleven can be somewhat difficult. Uh, but if you know in advance what we're doing right here, 9, 10, and 11, 9 and 10, then we should be good when we get to 11. So all those people that aren't here today, they may be a little lost. But what we've discovered, what we've discovered going through 9 and 10 is this. How do you receive salvation? Hello? Believe. It's faith, not just for the Gentiles, but for the Jews as well. For everybody, it's the same way. It's not based upon obeying the Ten Commandments. It's not based upon what Danny was talking about, what you do and your responsibilities as a believer. It's not based upon any of that. It's just simply belief, just simply belief. Like, I, you don't even have to have an invitation at the end of the service and come forward and say a prayer. You don't have to do that. You just have to believe. But we left off last week on verse 13 of chapter 10, and it says this. It says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He has literally quoted Joel... Chapter 2, verse 32, this is what Joel said. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, for there will be an escape for those on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, as the Lord promised. Among the survivors, the Lord calls. Okay, so he's quoted Joel, chapter 2. Joel is an Old Testament prophet. A prophet, somebody who is speaking into the future. He says, those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. You, you've, got to, you've got to track with me today because Paul literally is going back and quoting Old Testament throughout this chapter right here, and there's a reason for it. If there's any one thing the Jews believed in, it was in the Word of God. They didn't have what you have. You have the Old Testament and the New Testament. They just had the Old Testament. They had the first five books, which was the Torah, the Pentateuch. They had the history books, and then they had the prophets. And they knew it very well. So when Paul quoted them, they knew it. They knew it. And this is important that you understand that they knew it. 
We jump into uh, verse 14 where we left off of chapter 10 last week. It says, How then can they call on Him they have not believed in? How can they believe without hearing about Him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Paul is advocating right there. He's literally taking everything in reverse. If you're to call upon the name of the Lord, well, how do you call upon the name of the Lord? Well, you have to know about them. You have to hear about them. You have to experience him. That possibly could happen because somebody is talking to you about them. And that's what he's saying. It's like, you've had prophets all along that have been telling you about the Messiah. They've, they've literally come and told you about this Messiah that is to come that you've waited on, that you've, and, and here's, he, he, he quotes, Beautiful are the feet, beautiful are the feet who bring the message of the good news. He's kind of taken that statement right there and adapted it because what happened is the Israelites were taken into captivity back in the old covenant. And when they were able to come out of captivity, the message, the good news was brought to him. It wasn't Jesus, but it was that they were going to be saved by God. And so that was the good news when they heard this message. So now Paul's like saying the same thing. If you hear the good news, hear the good news of the gospel, it should make sense. Now let me take you back. Let me take you back. If he's quoting Isaiah right there, he's quoting an Old Testament prophet. Let me read to you one of the Old Testament prophets and what they said about the coming Messiah. This is long before Jesus came. This is what the Israelites have and they knew. I'm reading out of Isaiah chapter 52. Just listen and see if you can see Jesus in the Old Testament prophecy. Verse 7, it says, again, it's the quote that he, Paul just used, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the herald, who proclaims peace, who brings news of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voices of your watchmen, they lift up their voices, shouting for joy together, for every eye will see when the Lord returns to Zion. Be joyful, rejoice together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people, he has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has displayed His holy arm in the sight of all the nations. All the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Leave, leave, go out from there. Do not touch anything unclean. Go out from her. Purify yourselves, you who carry the vessels of the Lord. For you will not leave in a hurry and you will not have to take flight because the Lord is going before you and the God of Israel is your rear guard. Now watch this all of a sudden changes into the Messiah that's coming. Verse 13, See, my servant will be successful. He will be raised and lifted up and greatly exalted. 
Just as many were appalled at you, his appearance was so disfigured that he did not look like a man, and his form did not resemble a human being. So he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths because of him, for they will see what had not been told them, and they will understand what they had not heard. He's literally saying, you're not going to see this. They're not going to believe this. And then he goes into Isaiah 53. Who has believed what we have heard? He's, he's prophesying that they're not going to believe. It's, it's going to be right there in front of them. And he's sitting there saying, they're not going to see it. They're not going to believe. This is Old Testament prophecy. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before them like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him. No appearance that we should desire him. He's basically saying Jesus wasn't that attractive. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised, and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sickness, and he carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. Does this sound like Jesus? It sure does. It says, but he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment, and who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, but he was with a rich man at his death because he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. When you make him a guilt offering, he will see his seed He will prolong his days, and by his hand the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. After his anguish, he will see light and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will carry their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him the many as a portion, and he will receive the mighty as a spoil, because he willingly submitted to death and was counted among the rebels." Yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. Now, if that's an Old Testament prophecy spoken by Isaiah, like they know this. They have it memorized. It's evident this is what they're supposed to be looking for in the Messiah. Jesus comes and he's checked all the boxes. Literally what we just read, everything that we just read, Jesus has already checked, checked, 
check, check. And they couldn't see it. They still couldn't believe. Paul's like going, I, I don't know what you want me to do. It's, if I go back and quote the prophets, which you all know, and line up everything Jesus has done, you can't see it. You guys, I don't get it. My first time over to Israel in 2012, I had a little Jewish man as a tour guide. That man knew the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, better than anybody on that bus. And he went around and he would tell, this is what Jesus did here, this is what Jesus did here, this is what Jesus did here. Yet he still didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. What? I mean, that's your, that's your full-time job, talking about Jesus. Yet you, you don't believe he's the Messiah? I don't, I promise you, I don't get it. I don't get it. And this is literally what Paul is saying right here. How, how can you not believe based upon what has already been presented to you? Verse 16, he says this, But not all obeyed the gospel. He's talking about the Jews. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? That was the first verse in Isaiah 53. His point seems to be that using the Old Testament to show that Israel has an opportunity to respond. If I show them this, then maybe one more time they have a chance to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. I mean, people have been sent proclaiming the good news based upon that verse right there. They've had the opportunity to see God's plan because they read about it in the Old Testament themselves. So the question is, are they rightly faulted for their failure to understand and respond appropriately? Verse 17 says this, So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? <laughs> did, did you not hear everything that I've said in the first part of this letter, what I've said when the brothers came to town? Have you not heard this? He says, yes, they did. As he's quoting these Old Testament passages, He's, he's not literally using them in their previous context. He's using it more of in a, in a present context. You can do that. Sometimes when Paul quotes the Old Testament, he's quoting it to state a fact about history. But sometimes he just quotes it as a point to use it in his current context. We, we do that all the time with movie quotes, right? I mean, you do, right? Go ahead, make my day. You know what that's from. I, I could go on. Uh, there's no crying in baseball. These are all quotes from movies that we use all the time. There's no place like home. May the force be with you. You can't handle the truth. You guys know every movie that these are coming from. You had me at hello. What was that one? 
I'll be back. Show me the money. Freedom. We say these all the time out of the context of the movies, but in the context of our conversation. And this is literally what Paul's doing right here is he's taking these Old Testament passages, he's quoting what they know, and he's using them for the context of his own purpose. He says, Their voice has gone out to the whole earth, and their words to the ends of the world. He quoted Psalm 19.4 there. He says, But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that lacks understanding. He's just quoted Deuteronomy 32, 21 when they were all at Mount Sinai and made the, the image of the calf. Now he's like literally saying, here's the Jews and here's the Gentiles. He's using it in the context of what he's in, uh, what he's living in and what he's dealing with. If the Gentiles, who really had no theology whatsoever, could understand the gospel, then the Jews certainly could have because they knew the word of God and they had it right there in front of them. They should be able to compare. Israel is responsible for their unbelief because they had received enough understanding for the way of salvation. Their own scripture should have enabled them to see God at work in the gospel. And this is all Paul's saying. Look, just go back. Deuteronomy, Isaiah, it's all right there. It was to Israel's shame that they didn't believe. Whereas the Gentiles, they did believe. And Paul's heart is hurting. It's hurting because these are his people. The ones that are not his people are seeing it and they're following him. His friends and his family can't see that Jesus is the Messiah. Verse 20 says, And Isaiah says boldly, I was found by those who were not looking for me. Again, he's talking about Old Testament stuff, but he's referring now to the Gentiles. They weren't looking for me, but they found Jesus. I revealed myself to those who were not asking for me. He quoted Isaiah 65. But to Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and defiant people. That right there is Isaiah 65 too. But that verse right there tells you a lot about our God. It says all day long. Really, he's talking about for many, many years. All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and defiant people. They have chosen not to see Jesus as the Messiah. Yet I've given them everything that I possibly can. I've, I've shown them in creation. I've sent prophets to them. I've sent Paul to them. I sent Jesus to them firsthand. I put my son on a cross and punished him for their sins and they just can't see it. It's not based upon being chosen for salvation. It's based upon them seeing it and receiving it through faith. So you get that part and then we move into chapter 11. 
Paul literally at the end of this chapter is in effect saying, just as knowledge of God has gone out among all the world, because of the way God created the world, so now through the preachers of the gospel is a particular message of Jesus Christ going out. A message that can't be ignored. A message that makes everyone, Jews included, responsible for their response to it. You have to respond to the good news. What is it? What's the response? I believe. That's it. It's not cutting trees down. It's not passing out donuts. It's not any of that. It's I, I believe. It's not about coming forward in an invitation and saying a prayer. It's not any magic words. It's not drinking anything. It, it, it's literally a belief. You know, at the end of my notes every week, Jim gets my notes every week, but there's, there's a statement that I have at the bottom of my notes for me personally. And here's what it says. Understanding the Spirit's role. How would you communicate this message? If your 18-year-old son had made up his mind to walk away from everything you have taught him, morally, ethically, and theologically, unless he had a compelling reason not to. When I'm up here on a Sunday morning, that is the mindset that I'm presenting this message to. I'll say it again. Understanding the Spirit's role. How would you communicate this message if your 18-year-old son had made up his mind to walk away from everything you have taught him, morally, ethically, and theologically, unless he had a compelling reason not to? I know some parents in here can empathize and sympathize with that statement right there. I know it's a struggle. Paul, in his pastoral heart, is saying the same thing about his Jewish brothers and sisters. How do I do this? How do I present the gospel? How do I let the good news be good news? What is it? And, and hey, listen to me. I'm, I'm a fixer. <laughs> I would love to fix everybody's problems in here, including my own. But I've, realized, I've come to the realization that I'm, that's not going to happen. And so I've relieved myself of that pressure. I'm not going to fix your problems. And honestly, you're probably not either. There's only one fixer. I, I literally sent my daughter a picture of a can, an aluminum can that I destroyed. And I'm like, who can fix this can? She's like, no one. I'm like, oh, yes, one person can fix that can. You have to know that one person. That's the question. So I'm going to end today asking you, a question. How do you do that? 
How do you do that? How do you, how do you explain Jesus enough for your child to understand and to want to pursue it? Not that you're gonna, not that you're gonna cause them to do it, not that you're the fixer of them, but how do you do it? I'm, I'm, that's a serious question I'm asking for a response. And there could be multiple responses. I'm assuming there's multiple responses. What brought you to that understanding? That's a that's a surrender surrender moment. Yeah, Al. Speak up so they can hear you. Uh, you're saying that Jesus, no matter how disobedient they were, never quit reaching out. Yep. We hadn't given up, not quitting. Yep, I hear you. Rob? Huh. What does that look like, man? Snuggles. Rob says just love on them. Snuggles. It's uh, a good word, man. I, you, you, Matt Tully uh, laughs at me all the time because I got accused of harboring sinners here. Uh, that I'm free with whatever you want to do here, and which is kind of true. Because uh, it's not my responsibility to control your behavior, so because of that, people can come here and just continue to live their lives in the muck and do whatever they want, which is true. You can do that. It's just not experiencing the abundant life that He afforded us. But so because of that. No matter what everybody out here is doing, I can still love them. I can love them in the midst of their junk. And so I'm harboring sinners. Actually, I'm pretty sure that we're harboring saints who sometimes sin and sometimes uh, live in a season of their flesh. Yes, Mr. Dunnett. 
also just, I think you, you keep it simple. And I, I'm one that I feel like I'm pretty creative in a, in a sales situation, trying to convince them based on the approach. And I, I think it's not that. I think it's keeping it simple. And I know even when I'm teaching, you can get into weeds when you're teaching too, but just focused and being able to boldly say the name Jesus Christ and, and share the gospel. And if they hear with faith, they're going to be saved. And, it's, and I can't control that side of it, the receiver side, but what I can do is continually preach Jesus Christ and the gospel, which is the story, the good news. And I, I say that as, as just to be in a one-trick pony with my main message. That is it. That is all that matters. It's the only thing that matters. And there are a thousand roads to get you to that point where you'll listen, I'm guessing, if you're an unbeliever. But if they know that's the answer that I'm going to give, like, I don't ask you for any help at all, at all. Because if I came to you with the worst problem like I would ever have, I know exactly what you would say. You, you called I know, me two weeks ago. What are you talking about? You, I, just to hear myself talk, but not to <laughs> yeah, listen. True. But you would always say, follow the Spirit. I know you're going to say that. And so there are times when I want to call you, but then I am, I know what you're going to say. So you've already said, you're saying it and you're not even there. You're not even the conversation, but you're, we're having a conversation. If my kids know that to, to, to live is Christ and that my life is hidden in Christ. And if it's not, you're lost. If they know that's what I believe and what I'm always going to say, and I'm not cutting deals then they're going to know what I'm going to say even when I'm not there. And I think the loving part and all that, you got to live it and then you got to say it. You got to live it and you got to say it. You, you, you live the word, you live the truth, you speak the truth. And the truth is Jesus. I, I, I just keep it simple. Keep it, don't. Yeah, the, the whole salesman part, that was my seminary training and uh, upbringing is like, close the deal, close the deal. Tell them about Jesus, tell them about Jesus, and get them to say a prayer, and then raise their hand and count them. Check. Got one. But that's that's not my job anymore. I, you, you might come to know Jesus because you walked in here on a Sunday morning and heard a message. And I'm I'm totally stoked about that because I believe there's I believe there's people that don't know Jesus that come in here and we're teaching the Bible and they're able to pick up that Jesus is the Messiah and all they have to do is believe. I, I and that's exciting, but I don't have to sit here and uh, check, get credit for it, get credit for it, put it on the tally board. <laughs> that's not what this is about. Is and so. If it's not about me closing the deal, I can present the truth. I can hopefully walk the truth, and they can see a difference enough to pursue the truth themselves through the Spirit. It's kind of what you're saying. Yeah. He said, I think I said it better. Always. Amy's over here. She's... Uh, He's going to bring the Mr. Microphone. I don't know that I'm going to really make sense. I don't think I am, but... Not as good as Luke. But. No, definitely not as good as Luke. Um, but I was trying to think about, like, conversations I've had with my kids or whatever, and my kids have grown up going to church with us. 
Um, so I would be curious to their answers, not to at all put any on the spot, but I think just loving our kids and really trying to get to know our kids and encouraging them, sharing experiences with them, um, encouraging them just to be in the spirit. I don't know that I've ever shared really specific verses like you need to hear this verse or think about that. If there's something that's encouraged me, I just tend to share that with them. Um, and I think that's probably been more impactful than, you know, do you accept Jesus as your, like, I just don't think that kids tend to hear that very, that, that very well. Maybe some do, um, but I'm more relational in general. So that tends to be my approach with them. Mr. Tyner. Somewhere in the Bible it says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. And uh, I thought that that was a solution to uh, uh, obedient children and found that that isn't a good um, thing. But also Moses, uh, Dr. Phil, how's that working for you? (laughs) I said I found out it didn't work. So (laughs) Moses said, um, uh, you shall teach them diligently and shall talk to your kids when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up, and on and on and on. And um, I thought as I was parenting about how I learned and kind of just took that approach is it said when you're when they're old, they'll not depart from it. And so I thought, you know, I could be dead literally when they're old, and maybe that's when something's going to hit in their lives. And so I just took the approach. I'm just going to live out what faith looks like. And if I need to use words, then I'll use words. But when they see me train wreck something, they see how dad responded to it by faith. And when things go right, they see that as well. But um, that's kind of my attitude is that the words don't, words don't really say much. I don't think to anybody, I think actions are a lot uh, louder than words. So just one man's opinion. Yeah, I sent a, a a song, new one by Need to Breathe, to my daughter this morning, saying I think this song explains why I left my other church 14 years ago and came to Levner because there's a there's a line in there that says sometimes I just need room to be wrong, and uh, I feel like I can be wrong here. And I'm not going to be condemned for it. I'm not going to be be called out, but uh, it's in a it's in a good way. It's in a good way. But just that we can we can blow it here. And I get that we're perfect. We're not perfect in our behavior, but uh, we can blow it here. Be all right here. Yeah. Bells. Jeannie, over here, of course, back and forth like ping pong. I'm getting my stuff soon. This week, Anna McCord died. She was 101 years old. And um, one of the things Rusty does sometimes when people die is he says, 
give me five words that describe a person. And people usually say some of the typical ones. When you think about a person that's really amazing, they say they're loving, they're kind, they were a great friend, they were always there, on and on and on. So this week, the number one thing they said about this woman, who is an amazing godly woman, was she was forgiving. That was the number one thing they said. Non-judgmental. And non-judgmental. She was forgiving and non-judgmental. And, and I think that, that along with teaching them along the way to always see them as forgiven and forgiving them no matter what they did, I think that draws people to him. I think God said, through my kindness, and one of the kindest things we can do for anybody is offer them up forgiveness. Uh, last one. Uh, give the microphone to Chris. He didn't raise his hand, but I have a question for you. You all right with this? Good. Why are you here today? Why am I here today? Because I know I need the Lord. And Christ within me, I can't do it by myself. You know you're loved. Yeah. I'm glad you're here. Amen. I'm glad you're here. Thank you. Father, today... Uh, The message is there. It's good news. It's great news. May we just let it flow. Let it be natural. Let it be us. Let us just love. Just care for one another, even in the midst of bad decisions. May we reflect you like Anna did all the days. I trust you with my friends here. I trust you with the word. I pray for, thank you for the heart of Paul, just the pastoral heart that he loved his brothers, and it's their choice. And so today we give you thanks. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.